Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. How are we doing, Antioch Austin? We doing well on this Sunday morning before Thanksgiving? Who's pumped? We're just a few days away. How many of you in the room would say it's turkey and dressing? And then how many of you in the room would say it's turkey and stuffing? Where am I dressing people? Dressing? Where am I stuffing people? Stuffing. My grandma says it's dressing, and my grandma is always right. So every one of y'all are wrong. Um, But welcome. Welcome to church. It is such an honor to be here. I am thrilled. As J.D. did say, my name is Maddie Eccles, and I'm from Waco, Texas. I'm an associate college pastor just down I-35, and I, yeah, we got some Baylor people in there. I know we got some Waco people in the room, Uh, but we're in Austin, Texas, so Austin is the prime city this morning. Amen? Amen. Well, I love this church. Love God, love life, and live free, and y'all have some amazing people that are leading you guys out. I mean, J.D. and Liz Griffin, I did get to spend a good chunk of time with them in Waco. J.D. is one of the wildest people to be led by, wild in the best way. Uh, We were on the college team together, and one thing that he brought to our team, amongst a lot of things, was extreme faith, extreme faith. And so he developed this hashtag for our college team, hashtag fences. And basically what that meant was anything that we were doing, we wanted to swing for the fences in it. So we are putting on an event and we are believing for breakthrough on a college student. We wanted to see God bring transformation in the city. Hashtag fences. And I so see that in this church. This church is a swing for the fences kind of a church. Like y'all will see transformation happen in you, in this neighborhood, in this city, and in the world. And I believe it. This is a fences type of church. You got a great team. I know other people on your team. I got to meet the Ots this morning. But Moses and Sarah Chun, don't y'all love the Chuns? Was in college ministry with the Chuns. And then Andrew and Emily Weibel uh, was in college ministry with Andrew and Emily Weibel. And I want to take credit for their marriage. Okay, so I actually got to lead a trip that they were on as freshmen to Uganda. And seeing them, you know, the sparks were beginning to fly in Uganda. They were leading kids' ministry together with Ugandan kids. And I'm like, something needs to happen to bring these two together. And I called it. And here we are today in Austin, Texas, not in Uganda, but they're married, still working with kids. Love the Weibles. And just a shout out for you ladies, you can't actually meet your man on mission. Okay, that's where I met my man was on mission in Amsterdam, believe it or not. I met what I call my California dreamboat. My California dreamboat. So we got a picture of us. We have been married for almost seven months, and I actually did not give him the name California dreamboat. A 75-year-old grandma at our church in Waco gave him the name California dreamboat, but I have kept it. And you too can call him that. His name's actually Ryan. And he's amazing. And marriage is awesome. And obviously, since we've been married for seven months, I'm here to preach about marriage. Kidding. Not preaching about marriage, but I am going to be preaching about mindsets. Your mindset, my mindset, and why what our mind is set on matters. Because what I believe is what my mind sets on actually changes my marriage. 
What I set my mind on actually changes how I approach finances. What I choose to set my mind on can transform my relationships, can change my perspective, can give me faith, actually can direct my emotions and affect my health. My mindset really does matter. Turn to your neighbor and say, your mindset matters. Your mindset matters. And so I'm going to read a passage out of Romans 8. We're going to be spending a lot of time in Romans 8 today. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. I'm going to read a passage from there, Romans 8, 5 through 6. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Does that sound good? Awesome. Romans 8, 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are thankful to be in the house of God with the people of God and the presence of God. I thank you that you are already moving in this room. And we want to have hearts that are hungry, hearts that are open, eyes that are open. We want to be transformed by your word this morning. So Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves fully to you and ask that you would do only what you can do in us and around us and through us. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you in the room are tennis players? You enjoy the game of tennis. You've played the game of tennis. Wow. Y'all need to play more tennis at Antioch Austin. Well, I grew up playing an enormous amount of tennis. To be a phoenix, which is a family that I grew up in, means that you played tennis. I mean, literally from the womb of my mother, I was groomed to be a fourth generation Baylor University tennis player. My great-grandpa, my grandpa, my father all played tennis at Baylor. So that was uh, the destiny that I was supposed to walk in. I mean, I have pictures of me as a little nugget toddler, headband around my neck, tiny tennis racket, posing for my tennis pictures in fourth grade. You know, when you write those speeches of, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you go and present kind of the ultimate career, the ultimate person you want to be. I chose Serena Williams. I mean, honestly, who else is there to choose in tennis? I chose Serena Williams, dressed like her as much as I could. I uh, gave my speech with a racket in my hand, wrote an entire paragraph, trying to depict the strength that is evident in her arms. I mean, I was destined to be a tennis player. But what happened in my grade school years was that I started to have some mindset issues. I would play tennis, and I'd actually be playing opponents that were twice my size, didn't hit my growth spurt until later on, and I would be beating them, not because I was necessarily better, but because I was a human backboard. The only offense that I had as a tennis player was a great defense. And so I would just run and get every single ball that I could, frustrate them like crazy. Uh, But the moment that I made a mistake, I would have a mental meltdown. Like the moment I hit a ball in the net, hit a ball out, or God forbid, made a double fault, tears would start forming in my eyes and I would start wailing on the court. I would continue to play 
actually when, but be weeping as I am playing because my mind was set on my past mistake. I mean, it looked absolutely pathetic. Everybody thought my parents were beating me uh, because of the meltdowns that I was having on the court, but it was all because I was fixated on my failures. The meltdowns were triggered because of mistakes, and my mindset forced me to have to forfeit my racket by the time I was in sixth, sixth grade. And so the destiny of being a fourth-generation Baylor tennis player did not happen. However, when I was a freshman, I did pick back up the racket, played doubles with my sister. We made it to state. We got smoked in the first round, 6-0-6-0. In the Henderson Daily News, which is the tiny town that I grew up in, we made the headlines. You want to know what it said? Phoenix Sisters, one and done. One and done. Horrific for my already wounded soul. But I look back at that whole experience and realize, man, if my mindset had been different, what opportunities would I have been able to set, step into? If my mindset had been shifted, could I have fulfilled that potential? And I would say probably in a room this size that I'm not the only one that has regrets about their mindsets. I'm sure some of you in this room have had meltdown moments that have derailed you from opportunities, derailed you from possibilities, and even derailed you from your potential. And our thoughts really do matter. They send us in a direction sometimes that we regret. I love the way that one pastor says, his name is Craig Rochelle, he says that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Say that one more time. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. To say it another way is our lives are a reflection of what we are thinking. As it says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, so he becometh. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thought. Our mindset does matter. For some of you, that might be a thrilling statement. You might have had a great morning, got out of bed, loving life, loving God, living free. Others of you, your mind, what's happening between your two ears feels like a war zone and a battleground. But what I love that Scripture says about our minds, for those of us that are believers, those of us that have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we are walking in accordance with his ways, that we have been given the mind of Christ. As believers, we have been given the mind of Christ. That is a wild thought to think about. You and I, inside of our heads, we can think, we can live, we can love, we can lead just like Jesus. That is enormous potential for our minds. But many of you, probably like me, aren't necessarily living in the potential of the mind of Christ. You're over here having your meltdown as a sixth grader on the tennis court and being called a weeping winner. And in my preparation for this message, I did a little research on the mind, a little research on the brain. That was not my specialty in college by any means. The class that I took in sciences was world oceans. 
Never did I step foot into chemistry, biology, and all the neuroscience world. But I did some studying from Dr. Caroline Leaf. Anybody familiar with Dr. Caroline Leaf? A few people. If you're not, you should be. She is amazing. She is a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, communication pathologist, and audiologist who has worked in the area of cognitive neuroscience since 1985. Bottom line, she is brilliant. All of her stuff is biblical, challenging, convicting, and incredibly encouraging. So a few things from Dr. Leaf. She refers to our thoughts as mental real estate. Our thoughts as mental real estate, like our thoughts are actually taking up space inside of our brains. And what her science has proven is that as we think thoughts, as we kind of activate our mental real estate, that we are changing the landscape of our brains. What we choose to think about, what we choose to dwell on is literally building these neural pathways in our brain that format our brain and influence the rest of our body. So the more that we think a thought, the deeper that neuropathway goes inside of our brain and the easier it is for us to trigger thoughts that lead down a pathway, hopefully for our good. What is amazing is that God designed our mind to control our brain. And we have been given the mind of Christ. Science would say, as we think, we are rewiring our brain. The word of God would say, as we think, we are renewing our mind. As it says in Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To renew is to make new, to make fresh, to restore to perfection. And why is this important, this transformation of the mind? Why is it significant for us today, November 18th, the Sunday before Thanksgiving? Why do we want to have a renewed and transformed mind? The truth is, I think that you and I can be saved but we can live stuck. We can be saved, but live stuck. Like saved, like Jesus is in us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, a deposit guaranteeing our salvation. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of us, but we're stuck. We've been saved from our sin, but we keep returning to our sin. We're stuck in lust. We're stuck in anger. We are stuck in jealousy. We are stuck in a stale marriage. We're stuck in in the dysfunction of our family. We're saved, but we're stuck. How do we get transformed? I think that transformation keeps us from being stuck in the midst of our salvation. I love what Chris was sharing about what Jesus did, the finished work on the cross, because what Jesus did for us on the cross, he didn't just purchase our salvation, but he purchased our freedom. As it says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You will know the truth And it is the truth that will set us free. But how do we activate that freedom? I want to say today that it's through the transformation of our minds. It's by stepping into this idea that my mindset, what I set my mind on, actually matters. Because I don't want to live stuck. Jesus is not coming back for a stuck bride. 
He is coming back for a bride that is alive, alive to God, alive to this world. And it is our responsibility to manage our mental real estate, to manage our minds. Amen? November 1st, a few weeks ago, I had coffee with this college student. That date is familiar, November 1st, because it was the day after Halloween. Uh, She randomly got hold of me and said, hey, can we get coffee? And I was like, absolutely. Didn't didn't know her, hadn't met her before, but we meet at the sub at Baylor to have coffee, and we're sitting across the table, and she's telling me a little bit about her life, and, and she says, you know, Maddie, this semester has been the most transformational semester of my life. And so I'm like, it's quite the statement. What's God been doing? And she's like, well, I got saved when I was in high school, but now she's a junior. I got saved when I was in high school, but I realized that I was living stuck, that the labels that my parents had put on me, that the pressures that I felt from school, that the lies that were going through my mind from the enemy had kept me in bondage. And I didn't know how to get out. And she said, a few weeks ago, I actually went home and I said, I'm done with this. God, you've got to do something in me because I know that what I'm experiencing is in you is not what you purchased for me. And so she said, I, I asked God, I said, God, if I give you space every day to tell me who I am and whoever you say I am, that's who I live by, I'm going to trust that you're going to transform me. And so she started doing that. In mid-October of this, past, of this past fall, she started asking God every morning when she spent time with him, God, who do you say that I am? And whatever God said, that is who she was that day. So when I'm meeting with her on November 1st, she said, yesterday, which was Halloween, God told me that I am bold. And believe it or not, but our college ministry is actually taking a trip to Austin, Texas for a Halloween outreach. We dressed in crazy costumes. I was Pikachu. And we landed on 6th Street, and we said, we're going to empty out of these school buses, and we're going to go and be light. We're going to go and love people well. And so she knew that that outreach was on October 31st. God had told her, you're bold. So she's like, since God told me that I'm bold, do I have to go on this outreach? She struggles with social anxiety as an extreme introvert. So the last thing that she would ever want to do would to be to go with a bunch of people to a street of a bunch of unknown people and talk to them. She told me, she's like, God told me that I'm bold. So I signed up and I went. I even put a costume on. So she got on this bus, goes down to 6th Street, and starts sharing the gospel with people. And as she was telling me these different testimonies, her eyes were so huge. It was as if she was alive. And she was like, yeah, and today, which is November 1st, God told me that I am steadfast. I said, okay, awesome. She's like, yeah, I didn't really know what steadfast meant, but I Googled different passages in, the scri- in Scripture that talked about steadfastness, and I learned what the Bible said about courage and perseverance and endurance. And she said, I wasn't going to meet with you today because I was a little nervous, but I remember that God said that I am steadfast. So because God said, that's who I am, I said, that's who I am going to be. I'm going to obey that. And she was getting her life transformed formed. She was getting her life transformed. She was living the Romans 12 too, being transformed from the renewing of her mind. Romans 8, going back to Romans 8 verses 5 through 6, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit 
is life and peace. So to break that down, mindset on the flesh is death. Mindset on the spirit is life and peace. But what does it actually mean to set your mind on the things of the flesh? What even is this thing, the flesh? So the flesh is our old selves. It is who we were and how we lived before we met Jesus, before the Holy Spirit came inside of us and gave us power over our flesh. If you read more in Romans 8, it talks about our flesh being hostile to God, that it will not submit to God's law, that we are unable to please God while we are in the flesh. In Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Set your mind on the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So within us as believers, we have this war within the spirit battling with the flesh But by the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. What does it look like to set our minds on the flesh? And what does it look like for us to set our minds on the Spirit? For a mindset on the flesh is a me-centric mindset. It's all about me. It's about my life, my dreams, my desires, my ways, my needs. As it talks about in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit or rotten fruit of the flesh will lead to jealousy, strife, divisions, sexual immorality, drunkenness, idolatry. But to set the mind on the spirit is a God-centric mindset. It is intentionally putting God in the middle of your life. God, it's about you. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. It's a life lived unto his glory, his name, his fame, setting your mind on what God wants to do, what God has done. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the context of marriage, how do we set, what would, it, what would it look like if our minds were set on the flesh in the context of marriage? It would look like he's got to be in it for me. Like, why hasn't he made the stinking bed? Why won't she cook my favorite meals? I can't believe that he spent more money than me this past month. If he can't satisfy my desires, then maybe I should start looking for someone else too. It is a marriage focus, focused on me. A mindset on the spirit in the context of marriage is about them, in it for them. Man, how can I serve them? How can I get behind what he wants God to do in him? How can I intercede for what she needs this week? How can I be his advocate? How can I empower him? What does he need? What does she need? Almost this righteous competition. What about in the context of finances? A mind set on the flesh when we're talking about money. It's my money, right? I'm entitled to do what I want to do with my money. Why would I tithe it? Why would I give it? It is mine. I need to hoard it. 
I need to multiply it. I need to gain more, get more. It's going to lead to jealousy, covetousness, and strife. In the context of finances, a mindset on the spirit, this is God's money. He has given it to me to steward. I am grateful for what he has given. How can I not just tithe, but how can I give? God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with the money that you've given and entrusted to me? What about the future? I see a lot of college students in this room. Mindset on the flesh leads to worry. Worrying all the time. What am I going to do? What's the next step? Oh my gosh, if I, if I don't control it, if I don't apply it, all these different things leads to fear. Mindset on the spirit. God, what do you want to do with my future? I trust you. I pray. I worship you. I thank you for what you have done. And I praise you for what you are going to do. I have faith for my future. Our mindset matters. A mindset on the spirit lends itself to life and to peace. And you and I must take responsibility of our mental real estate. It is on us as believers to manage our thought life. Because if we don't, there's an adversary, the devil, who would love to. The Bible speaks a lot to the devil. And I think in church, it's okay to talk about the devil. What the Bible says about the devil is that he is the adversary. It says that he is the father of lies. His native language is lies. There is no truth in him. It says he was a murderer from the beginning. And 1 Peter talks about him being a prowling lion seeking to devour. In John 10, it says that the thief comes only, only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But my favorite characteristic about the devil is that he's been defeated. The devil has been defeated. As it talks about in Revelation 12, he has been defeated. And we get to walk in that victory as we rest in the blood of Jesus and as we proclaim testimonies. It says that we defeat the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. And so as I talked about us having this inner battle with our spirit and our flesh, we also have this external battle that the Bible speaks to in Ephesians 6. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I would encourage you to spend some time this week in Ephesians 6 and look at all the different pieces of armor that we get to put on. But one that I want to pay special attention to is in verse 16. It says, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take out the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The flaming darts of the evil one are lies that come from the devil, where he wants to distort truth about who God is, who I am, what's happening in my present, what happened in my past, and what is going to happen in my future. A dart might look like a thought that crosses your mind. You're not good enough. You're not going to make it. No one likes you. You have no future. You will never be set free 
from your past. To extinguish the darts of the devil, we first must define them. If you don't take the time to define the darts that are racing through your mind, then the devil is going to try and manage your mental real estate. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power divine power to destroy strongholds. So strongholds being those flaming darts of the enemy. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So we defeat the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. And we stand against his schemes by taking every thought captive and making it obedient to what the truth of God says. This past year, I've implemented a new strategy in how I come against the devil. I personally despise the devil. He is the worst. I hate him. And so when he tries to come against me with a flaming dart of, Maddie, you're not going to make it. You you cannot finish what you've started. You actually are not good enough. You, Maddie, you know, you're going to have to quit. You're going to have to give up. You're going to have to give in. When he comes at me, I simply tell him, devil. I literally have an out loud conversation with the devil in my car. Devil, I spy your scheme. I know that you're coming against me right now. And so, because you're trying to come against me, I am going to punish you. Every time you come at me with a dart, I'm going to identify that it's a dart, and then I'm going to throw it right back at you because I'm going to start interceding for North Korea every time you try and come at me with a lie. And so that's what literally I have been doing. This past week, I'm in the car praying for God to move in North Korea because I hate the devil. Because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy me. But I'm not going to give him power in my mind. I know that my mind is renewed in truth. And if my mind can stay fixed on the spirit, as my mind can stay fixed on truth, then I do not have to succumb to the schemes of the enemy. So this week, pick a nation. Pick anything that you want God to move in, and when the darts of the devil come at you, don't give him power. He has no power. He's been defeated. Define the dart and throw it back in his face. You can join me in believing for North Korea to be turned upside down for the kingdom of God. This past week, I was praying for the underground church in North Korea. Join me this week in praying for that in Jesus' name. We will. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's try and land this plane. So you and I have been given the mind of Christ. We have. And our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And what we set our mind on actually matters. And it starts with our thinking. And so Philippians 4, 8 is an amazing passage of scripture to help grid what a God-honoring thought can look like for you. So this week, when you really are trying to take inventory of, man, what's happening between my two ears, you can look at Philippians 4, 8. 
And it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Measure your thoughts according to Philippians 4.8. And if it's a thought that is God-honoring, like sing about it. Write about it. Tell your friends about it. Build the neural pathway of truth so that your mind gets renewed and you don't live stuck. I love what it says in James 1.21. In James 1.21, it says to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save your souls. The word of God is actually able to save our souls, our souls being our mind, our will, and our emotions. And it saves us when we meditate on it, when it gets inside of us. To meditate means to chew the cud. How many of you have seen a cow eat grass? A couple people, a few more people. When a cow eats the grass, he chews the grass, swallows the grass, regurgitates the grass, chews the grass some more, swallows the grass, regurgitates the grass, chews that same piece of grass some more so that the nutrients goes down deep. We can do that with the word of God. We can chew it, chew it, swallow it, and regurgitate it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chew, chew, swallow, regurgitate, There, greater is he that is in me than the power that is in this world. Chew, chew, swallow, regurgitate. He has plans for me to prosper me, to give me a hope and a future. Chew, chew, swallow, regurgitate. The more that the word of God gets in us, the more free we live, transformed we live, alive we live. Like Christ, we live. Amen? Amen. So this week, I want to challenge you to chew the cud. Pick a few verses that combat the dart that the enemy is trying to come at you with and chew the cud. You can stand in front of your mirror and chew, chew, swallow, regurgitate. Why not? Build right thinking. Set a right mindset in your life. I want to close with one story. As we end, and it's a story about one of my friends. Her name is Perpetual. We were in college together. And I got to have coffee with her towards the end of her college years. I had admired her from afar, knowing that she just carried this power and this authority in her life. But I didn't really know the backstory of it or how she got to where she was. So I sat down for coffee with her and said, hey, tell me about you, your life, your past, your present. How have you gotten to where you are? And she's like, whew, my story's kind of crazy. And so as she started unpacking her story, she told me about how she grew up in Nigeria in a home where her father practiced black magic and witchcraft. And she was abused at the age of five. And she tried to commit suicide several times in high school. And she ended up in Waco, Texas at Baylor University. Saved, but unbelievably stuck. Stuck in sexual bondage, emotional bondage, even mental bondage. And as she's telling me these different things, she starts going through these different scenarios that happened to her in college. The first major one being when she visited her first life group. She was actually planning that night to end her life. She ends up being invited. She steps into this small group of people. And this girl comes up and says, hey, I know it 
we just met, but I feel like God gave me a word to encourage you. Can I pray for you? And the word that she prayed for her was, hey, I felt like God said that you will not die, that you will live, and that you will live to proclaim and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. And so that was one of the things that triggered her to start setting her mind on the things of the Spirit. It was then that she started walking in forgiveness with her dad. It was then that she started making flashcards of different passages of Scripture that just declared who God was and who God said she was. And as she's walking to class, she really has these flashcards that she's saying out loud over herself so that her mind would start triggering on truth and not lies. She got accountability for places of sin and bondage. She struggled with masturbation and pornography. And so when she was in college, she would literally give her laptop to her roommates at 10 p.m. every night and say, this has got to be a thing of my past. I have to set my mind on the things of the spirit because if I set it on the flesh, it's gonna lead me to death. And all this accumulated in one major moment for her towards the end of her college years where she was spending time with the Lord and she was being tempted and she was weary. And she felt like God gave her this picture in her mind's eye of her children, her children, perpetual children, worshiping Jesus freely, securely, with passion, with power. And she told me the scripture out of Deuteronomy 30, 19. It says, I call heaven and earth to, to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And I love that perpetual story is her choosing life in the area of her thinking, choosing life in the area of accountability, choosing life in where she set her mind to. And it doesn't just set her free, but it sets the generations after her free. And I believe that in this room this morning that God doesn't want anybody to leave here stuck. Like nobody's stuck in their sin, stuck in wrong mindsets, stuck in unforgiveness, stuck in jealousy, stuck in lust, but it starts with your mind. God wants to come and transform mindset right now.